Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I think part of the problem is had we as a nation responded more appropriately, we would be in a much better position like Germany, for example, to reopen more safely um, and to restart sports more safely. Um, But unfortunately, we just did not have the resolve to do that. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we have a renowned doctor and medical journalist who specializes in infectious disease and global health and has been all over CNN as a COVID expert. We're really lucky to have her on the show. Her name is Dr. Celine Gounder. We're going to talk about the reopening of the sports world and we're going to keep it medical. Uh, Also... Uh, We've got some choice words about the NFL and their plans to reopen. Just stand up and just sit your ass down and more. But first, let's talk to Dr. Celine Gounder. First and foremost, um, just how how are you doing? Uh, How's your family? How's everybody? Uh, Because you've you've been in a very, you know, high-risk situation. I'm good. I'm good. I am healthy, have been healthy. Uh, I actually, as part of uh, my work stuff, uh, have been tested. Uh, My antibody test was negative. So the hospital is offering testing to employees, obviously, because we're high risk um, and exposed. And part of the reason is also to figure out which types of employees um, are more, more exposed and what changes that might um, imply, you know, for infection control and personal protective equipment. So it's less about, okay, you're, you've been exposed, um, you know, you're immune because we actually don't know that that's true right now. It's more to say, okay, maybe emergency doctors have this much higher risk versus labor and delivery or nurses versus doctors and to figure out rationally how to um, allocate resources based on that data. So anyway, um, yeah, I'm still, I'm healthy. I haven't been infected yet and, uh, hopefully it stays that way. Great. 
So we're, we're talking sports here. Um, plans are emerging. You, you, I'm sure you've heard some of this stuff. Baseball by July, football by September. What's your reaction when you hear these dates trumpeted by the leaders of sports, that this is that the game shall go on and they're setting dates in the future and making plans based on those dates? What, what's your gut reaction when you hear that kind of stuff? Well, I think it, it, there's a couple things. One, you know, is it with fans or without fans? I think that's a huge distinction. Um, because I think once you're talking about doing it with fans, the public health impact is much more significant. Um, I think big picture, um, what's problematic is that, you know, backing up a little bit, we just haven't done what we needed to do as a nation on um, controlling the virus. And so we didn't implement social distancing and stay at home orders quickly enough and aggressively enough and strictly enough. We didn't do it. So the longer you wait, and the less rigorously you do it, the longer you have to do it to have the same level of impact. Well, we haven't done it for long enough, uh, particularly given we don't do it fast enough and strictly enough. And now we're lifting too early. And, you know, we have a lot of places that have already said, well, we're not going to re-implement no matter what happens. And very likely you're going to see a second wave in certain areas, definitely by the fall and um, if not sooner, and the second wave could be worse. And then you're having sports leagues reopen in the midst of this. Um, I mean, that's scary, and it's not necessarily just the quote-unquote fault of the sports league. I think part of the problem is had we as a nation responded more appropriately, we would be in a much better position, like Germany, for example, to reopen more safely um, and to restart sports more safely. Um, but unfortunately, we just did not have the resolve to do that. Mm. Now, if you were a pro athlete putting you in the shoes of some of these folks, what would it take for you to go back to your sport in terms of assurances, testing, protocols, or would you, even if there were no fans, simply be unwilling given the circumstances? Well, I think it depends on how you are restarting um i think you know uh, can you basically quarantine the people who are playing together um in some way that they're not exposed to people from the outside um you know that's obviously very hard because you're talking about large teams who have families and girlfriends and (laughs) girlfriends in multiple places, probably, <laughs> you know, um, how do you prevent them from being re-exposed and uh, exposing others? Uh, but if you could find a way to safely quarantine all those involved in play um, and then having a, I mean, then you would have to do a two-week isolation period between games because then you have potential cross-contamination across teams. Um, it just becomes very logistically difficult. I mean, I could imagine a way it could be done, but like you would have major um, infringements on personal, you know, way of life and safety and, or not safety, um, liberties and so on, um, freedoms and so on. So I just don't see that number of people complying to that degree. 
Mm. Uh, in terms of testing, you know, what you could be doing, and, but, you know, I think this also has to come after the general public health needs for testing um, are met. So if you don't have enough tests for the people I need to see in the hospital, forget, like, testing athletes so that they can return to play. I mean, I think that's a completely irrational use of a very scarce resource just so some people can make money. Um, so if you can meet all of the testing needs of people who are sick in the hospital for the needs of truly essential workers like the meatpacking plant workers and the nursing home workers and so on and the uh, nursing home residents, if you can meet those testing needs, then I think you can start to talk about, um, you know, what kind of testing would you do on a team? And then you would probably want to be doing testing, not for, not with antibodies, because again, we don't really know what that means at the individual level. Is that truly indicative of immunity or not? For a whole host of reasons, we don't have that information yet, but um, you would want to be testing people, screening people for exposure, and symptoms. So that would be a combination probably of um, temperature checks, symptom screening, and then lab testing. And the lab testing that probably would make the most sense here is the third newest type of testing that's coming out now um, called antigen testing. So just to explain the three kinds of testing, you have PCR testing, which looks for the genetic material of the virus. That was the very first kind of test that came out, including the Botch CDC test was a PCR test. Um, that test is more expensive, more difficult to do. Um, it's a more sensitive technology, which is also why the CDC had some issues with that one um, in terms of uh, uh, some of the false uh, results on those in the beginning. But um, so that test is also much harder to scale up. Um, then you had the second wave of tests, which has been the antibody test. Um, and there's a whole host of issues with those where basically the FDA threw up its hands and said, um, you have an antibody test, you can sell it. Um, and then realized that a lot of them were not very good. And so now there's been a backtracking of trying to pull some of them off the market now. But um, the problem with the antibody test is they tell you if you were exposed and infected. Again, they don't tell you if you're immune. And then the third test that have just started to come out are antigen tests, which also check for current infection, just like the PCR test. Um, those tests look for the protein of the virus as opposed to the genetic material. So it's actually a much easier, cheaper, faster test to do. So if you think about the, if you think about the pee on a stick uh, test, you know, urine pregnancy test, that's kind of like the same level of technology that you would do with an antigen test. So it's a much simpler, cheaper test, potentially one that can be done point of care outside of a doctor's office, doesn't necessarily need a lab. And so that kind of test, if it can be scaled up, um, and these are brand new, so we don't, we're not there yet. Um, that's the kind of test you could be doing, could be even every day, but I would say at least a couple times a week um, if you're wanting to catch people early enough after exposure and incubation, um, you know, during their, during their incubation period when uh, they may not even have symptoms yet, but might be infectious to others, because that's been the big thing with this virus. Um, unlike, for example, Ebola, where you're not transmitting until you have symptoms, what's challenging here is you can't rely on symptom screen alone because 
um, people do transmit before they have symptoms. So that's where the testing would come in is to try to pick up those people. Um, but, you know, we're not there yet. But that, that would be the kind of thing that would be helpful because once you pick up somebody, you can take them out, you can isolate them, you can make sure they get whatever health care they need. And in the meantime, they're not infecting the rest of the team. And hopefully you haven't had any um, or minimal numbers of infections um, if somebody, uh, you know, did, did uh, develop COVID. Wow. And w when you hear the measures that are being put forward, like no spitting, no high fives, constant taking of temperature, I mean, I'm sure this lowers risk, but how much? I mean, how much is that just window dressing and how much is that like critical elements to restarting sports? Uh, I mean, I think it's definitely important. I think those are definitely a component of this. Um, I think anything you can do to reduce ex like skin to skin contact and exposure to respiratory secretions, so you know, part of that, uh, I think all of that is good. In fact, there used to be laws about spitting to control tuberculosis transmission back in the day. And I think it wouldn't be the worst thing if uh, people were a little bit more, uh, you know, respectful of some of those hygienic practices. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think those, those things will help, but it's not enough on its own. Mm. Yeah, it's one of my situations where, and oh my gosh, we're watching a game with Grant right now. It's Wolfsburg versus Dortmund. And you have guys sitting there in the stands wearing masks, but not covering their noses. Like, oh mm. my God. Like, really? Anyway, um, I'm, I call it the, the chin bra. All these guys that were not just guys, women too, who wear a mask, but it's on their chin and it's totally useless. Yeah, my, my wife says it's like uh, wearing your pants uh, with the zipper down. So I'm sure you've heard that before. Yeah, or wearing your pants around your ankles. That's oh. what I would call it. Even worse. Um, you, you mentioned respiratory transmission. What, what do we know about the risk of uh, droplets from the nose or mouth versus the risk of sweat uh, in terms of it being uh, communicable? Is, is sweat, should we look at that similarly? No, I, I don't worry so much about sweat. It's that we touch our nose and our mouth and we cough in our hands and then we touch the rest of our body, right? So it's more that you're spreading those respiratory secretions all over yourself um, without realizing it. It's not the sweat itself that has me concerned. It's just what mm. you spread all over your skin. Mm. Now, some of the reopened sports brigade people um, in the sports world, they're saying that um, because athletes have this advanced physical training, um, they would avoid the chronic disabilities that some survivors have contracted. Um, do, do we know enough to be able to say that, that if you're in amazing physical shape that, and you catch it, that you're not going to have long-term lung and circulatory problems that people are finding that they have? Yeah, we absolutely do not have that data. So, so people saying, sorry, people saying that are full of crap, basically, who are like, oh, they'll be fine if they catch it because of. Yeah, uh, they're, they're making decisions. And we definitely have seen younger people, people who've been elite athletes who have gotten this, who have gotten very sick. Um, if you're interested, I can connect you. I'm actually um, doing him a favor. Um, his, my, my friend, John Kim, we were residents together. He is a cardiologist, but is very focused on sports and sports fitness and cardiology. And I'm actually 
going to do a, a panel discussion for him for the American College of Cardiology, like a virtual conference, uh, since they can't obviously do their regular ones, but specifically on this sports issue. And he can talk to you a little bit more about that if you're interested about what they're finding in terms of um, COVID and sort of the elite athlete and, you know, from a cardiology perspective. Oh, bring bring that on. Thank you so much. And that, that gets to my my last question, which is about um, extreme activity. Uh, do we know anything about, like, say, you're more likely to catch it after a 10 mile run as opposed to just going for a leisurely walk or it could be more uh, dangerous after you've engaged in extreme physical activity? Do, do we know anything about that? Not that I'm aware of. John may know something, but uh, on that front, I haven't seen anything on that. I mean, if you were standing in a crowd of people who had COVID and you were exerting yourself, which obviously from a, I'm not quite sure how you would do that in a crowd of people, but anyway, um, and you were breathing more deeply and breathing in those respiratory droplets from other people more deeply, I could see that potentially increasing your risk of infection. But other than that, I'm not aware of you know, and I just don't see that really happening. Um, but other than that kind of mechanism, I don't really see why going for a, you know, stroll versus a hard run would alter your risk, really. And I guess my last question is, you sort of touched on this earlier, but it really would be a moral outrage if all of a sudden we found that professional sports had access to all kinds of testing 24-7 and there was still scarce testing for uh, hospital and essential workers, wouldn't it? I mean, that's morally unacceptable. And it's unacceptable from a public health perspective because you're not going to be able to control the disease in the general population if you approach it in that way, if you hoard scarce resources for whatever elite group. Um, so, yeah, that's just completely unacceptable. Mm. Well, thank you for being a voice on that. Uh, also, I always ask folks on the show if they're listening to music these days, just to get them through the the days, particularly these days. Is music a part of your life at all? Oh, my gosh. I wish it were. Like, I am. I have been nonstop. I mean, normally it is, actually, but nonstop since February, it has felt like a marathon of hurdle after hurdle to jump over and basically I am just trying to get to sleep every day. <laughs> I mean, that's like literally what every day is like. Uh, how, so how far like away that, does January seem to you? Um, it feels like we have lived a lifetime since February. <laughs> um, like pre-February feels like a very, very, very long time ago. Wow. Um, I yeah. can only imagine. Because it so, feels like um, and I haven't doing what you're doing um but this morning we did start listening as i was folding laundry and putting away some stuff wind of change the new podcast uh which is about the song winds of change um which if you haven't listened to it is pretty awesome so far grant's laughing <laughs> it's about how the cia may have written the song <laughs> you're kidding me you mean that that scorpion song from yes yes 30 yes, years yes. ago it's yeah, it's as a propaganda piece. It's hilarious. So yeah, I I would totally recommend uh, listening to that. Oh my gosh! All right, yeah. As someone who's uh, of an age that remembers that song as a young person and seeing the video on MTV, I, I think I will tune into that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Did, did they also write "Right Here, Right Now" by Jesus Jones or no? 
Not that I'm aware of, but maybe they'll touch him on that one. <laughs> yeah, the the other Berlin Wall song. Oh, well, Dr. Gather, really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No problem. Have a good weekend. Best to Grant. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much to Dr. Celine Gounder, and also thank you to Tom O'Connor, Julie Donnelly, Kate Brooks, Raphael Lassar, and Ali Morrow, who helped me with those questions on Facebook, because I was like, I don't know what to ask this doctor, and they had some terrific suggestions, which I incorporated into the show. Uh, we'll be back right after these messages from a sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back. Now I've got some choice words about the NFL's plans to reopen. Okay, look... With the reckless force of a runaway train, the NFL is preparing to reopen this fall. They have released their schedules, they are scheduling mini camps, they are reopening facilities. This is all happening, of course, in the context of a pandemic that shows no signs of slowing down. The titanic forces pushing the NFL to open their doors are coming from all angles. The franchise owners want their billions of dollars in TV revenue, something that of course will not happen without something to broadcast. The television networks are anxious for the games to be shown, as the NFL is the highest rated programming year in year out in our vivisected culture. The 24-hour sports networks are desperate for content as they currently are straining to fill the hours with tired debates about players past. Then there is Donald Trump, the person who turned football into another tired culture war trope with his 2016 to 2018 attacks on quarterback Colin Kaepernick and any player who dared take a knee during the anthem to protest racial inequity and police violence. Trump wants the NFL open by any means necessary because it is yet another opportunity for more divisive culture wars around the closest thing this country has to a secular religion. He wants the terms of debate to be those who want football back versus those who don't want it back, because that is an argument he believes he will win. Trump knows that the return of football will be a signal that normalcy is on the march. He also is more than aware that conversely, if football isn't back, it will be yet another unsettling signpost of just how deeply he has mangled this nation's response to the coronavirus. If we had a national plan of widespread testing and contact tracing, we could have had football back in a way that would have satisfied fans and cautionistas alike. But he didn't, so we cannot. This all ties together when we examine the number of NFL owners who have given millions to Trump's presidential aspirations over the years. They did not want Donald Trump to be a fellow NFL owner, but they have no problem with him as their president. The political and financial interests are combining to make the NFL's return a fait accompli. The above scenario is also dangerous because if the NFL comes roaring back, it sends a message to society that we are coming back, 
even if it's not supported by any of the data. It also ignores the health of those who actually have to play. The only people who have the power to pump the brakes on this mad project are the players themselves and their union, the NFL Players Association. This is also difficult to envision. Players in the NFL do not have fully guaranteed contracts, and the average career lasts just over three years. With the exception of the stars, they are seen as eminently disposable. If they don't show up to play, someone else will. As players joke among themselves, NFL stands for not for long. We're in a league that is 70% African American, N-word for lease. In addition, they risk their brains on the field every week. The idea that they won't also risk the coronavirus beggars belief. One possibility that could occur would be that a minority of players, the socially conscious ones who just last week signed a letter calling for justice for Ahmed Arbery following his murder in Georgia, a letter signed by among many others quarterback superstar Tom Brady, will raise their voices in dissent. These players should hold press conferences alongside their families and ask the hard questions like, in a sport that has flagrantly disregarded the health of players, what is the plan to keep us safe? They should examine these plans to reopen with a critical eye, like a jeweler attempting to determine the veracity of a stone. Granted, the majority of fans probably will not care. These are fans, as we saw when Kaepernick took his knee, that love the players with their helmets on and their mouths shut. When the humanity emerges from beneath their uniforms, fans are far less open to hearing what it is they have to say. Shut up and play would become shut up and die. It will unquestionably be a fight, but it could also move public opinion just enough to force the kind of conversation that Roger Goodell and the NFL are clearly loath to have. A discussion about whether the safety of the players, the coaches, and the various medical staff are being flagrantly disregarded for money, politics, and expediency. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey everybody out there, this is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award this week. Stand up! I mean, it goes to the NFL players who did sign that letter uh, for Ahmaud Arbery, um, calling for justice for the case in Georgia. One of the athletes who signed on was Tom Brady. Uh, which is a positive development, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, We need more white athletes standing up against uh, racism, standing up against white supremacy, uh, to see Tom Brady take a step in that direction. I mean, I don't expect Tom Brady to become anything special anytime soon on this front, but what it does is that it gives cover to other athletes who might want to stand up and step forward. So that is definitely a positive. And given that Tom Brady owes his Hall of Fame success in part to the black athlete, uh, I think it's only appropriate that he 
uh, actually show some solidarity with the people who are part of this quote-unquote family. I also find it very interesting that he does this now that he's out of the New England Patriots locker room and on Tampa Bay. Just throwing that out there uh, for folks to think about. So that's the Just Stand Up Award. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Goes to people who are defending uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. And I promise this is the last time I'll talk about The Last Dance. I'm, I'm sick of talking about it too. But as entertaining as The Last Dance was, as interesting as it was, uh, and as captivating as it was, it also might as well have uh, started uh, with a little moment where Michael Jordan would say, I'm Michael Jordan and I approve of this message. Like one of those political ads. Uh, this was a Michael Jordan infomercial, and so people defending it as journalism really need to just sit their ass down, because it's not. If it was, they would have interviewed Craig Hodges. Uh, if it was, they would have interviewed critical voices about the way Jordan bullied his teammates. If it was, they would have interviewed Robert Parrish, and he would have told his story about getting bullied by Michael Jordan and threatening to put Jordan in a garbage can. They would have had all of this stuff that obviously was not there because it didn't fit the narrative that Jordan and the NBA wanted to put forward. So just sit your ass down to defenders of the last dance. Come on. It's not Made in America, uh, the OJ story. It's not hoop dreams. Um, You know, it's the last dance. It's in a category of its own, and that's not necessarily a category that cloaks itself in glory. Uh... One last thing for this week, I just want to give a Kaepernick watch, you know, let everybody know that I am writing this book or trying to write this book called The Kaepernick Effect. And I just want to give people a little observation. You know, I interviewed some folks last week who took a knee at Amherst College in Massachusetts, very elite school for those who don't know. And I also interviewed somebody who took a knee when he was playing for his high school in South Central LA and now is an essential worker back in South Central. And even though you couldn't imagine more different folks, you know, Amherst, South Central LA, they both took knees for the same reasons, because they feel like there's a gap between what this country uh, says it is and the lived experience of black Americans. And there's something incredible about the connective tissue that exists between these different struggles, um, especially uh, given the geographical disparities and economic disparities. Uh, there is a united perspective. And I just wanted to share that with folks. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thanks for everybody for listening in. Hope everybody's staying safe. Hope everybody's taking care of themselves. Hope everybody's family is uh, taken care of. Uh, These are rough times. I hope this podcast helps even just a little bit to get through. If you like the show, please go to iTunes, give it a five-star rating, please write a little comment. All that stuff helps a ton. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.